The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Schoology's passion lies in helping instructors and students have the best education experience possible. Schoology is a collaborative, student-focused, and faculty-centered learning management system. Students love Schoology because it gives them 24-7 access to course materials, real-time feedback from their instructors, and easy-to-use collaborative tools. Teachers love the streamlined workflow, integrated apps such as Google and Microsoft tools, and the ability to view evidence of student learning for making instructional decisions. To learn more about what is possible with Schoology, simply visit Schoology.com. I love that she doesn't give, you know, a you know what. (laughs) Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss playing video games instead of taking the SAT, a university that has offered free tuition to lower income students. Should we include students in teacher professional development? And our amazing guest this week is educator and instructional coach, Nate Green. So we have a, we have a swag shop, Glenn. Yeah. That, that, we have stuff. That, yeah, that new logo is ridiculous. So, the, so amazing. The sticker. Yeah, just and I love the love, love it on all of the, I I got to get myself a hoodie, t-shirts, maybe a, a coffee stay cup. Awesome hoodie. Yeah, there's coffee cups, there's uh pens, uh you know, anything that you ever thought of. It has sure. the on education logo on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean if you go to the website and go to the top, there's a new swag link and click on that and you know if you want something buy, if you don't then, you know. That's cool too. We get it. Uh, but it, uh, I did inadvertently reveal our new sticker in the process because we put that uh, that new sticker on our that new whatever on everything uh, as well. So you can either get something with the on education with the logo or with the new the new stay awesome uh, sticker. Yeah, I love that. Uh, or design. Uh, but that'll be a sticker as well. So we will be packed. For um, where are we going? So where are we going this year? We're going to ISTE. ISTE. We're going to Serious Games, uh, both Montreal and Orlando. Yes. Uh, School of Next. I'll, I'll be there. So we, we'll, we'll Let, separate. I'll be at School yeah. of Next. Yeah, we'll uh, separate and conquer. How do they call that? Divide and <laughs> Divide conquer. FETC. We'll have stickers for FETC in Miami. Excited. So, Yeah. Yeah, super exciting. We also um, have started to build out some sponsorship stuff. So if you're listening and you're a, a business, you know, slide into our DMs. Yeah, love it. So what's going on? We, uh, we've we come across some pretty interesting, lots of news. It, this seems to be the, the news section now. Um, but I think that's that's important. So there's lots going on. Um, and we've this article has kind of made the rounds. I remember Spike sharing it. And I've seen Melissa talking about it now. Um, it was shared on the Games for Ed hashtag. This article, what if instead of taking the SAT, you got to play a video game? And the big point of this video game is that the SAT is a terrible indication of almost anything, let alone your ability to be successful at university. Um, where, you know, this this company... Um, and this this person, uh, I, I think her name is Rebecca Cantor, mm-hmm. has developed a game simulation sort of assessment that um, assesses kind of the process 
and your decision making and your critical thinking skills. And I mean, it's preaching to the choir, yes. but we obviously know that those are the things we actually need to be assessing and and not the the garbage that's on the SAT, right? Yeah, and it and it's also preaching to the choir that we know as people that play games and people that use games to actually instruct or use as instructional tools that games, really good games, as we had talked about with Jordan Shapiro, include these these elements, these problem solving, critical reasoning, collaboration, creativity, and and empathy. We even have had mm-hmm. guests that talk about those types of things and what they want to know at a university level, yes, and at a uh, business is that you are highly skilled in these things. So how how mm-hmm. skilled are you in this? It, the the environment too that they were describing, Mike, I, it just makes me want to actually go take that test so that we can go ahead and, and maybe we can get a hold of them or something and be able to do something like that. I don't know if it's a location based or something that they that you can get online. But it's so fun to take it. Yeah, because I just the reaction that some people are coming out of it with they're like i played for an hour and a half and they played the game to get a job or to get in into a university and they were full of adrenaline they had the problem solved and they had to learn from their mistakes and how well they did those things it was multiple paths and then the uh, test assessors could then take a look at what they actually did how they went about solving the problems to see where they're at on the, each of these skills uh which i mean what an awesome uh, way to go ahead and take an exam is actually get in there, take a uh, play a video game, and how you do in this 3D simulation is it shows like what kind of skills you actually have. All of those things that unfortunately are called soft skills, but those are the essential skills. I don't know how much of a critical mass is required for this stuff to become, you know, the commonly accepted thing yes but as two people that are kind of embedded in the conversations surrounding them it really feels like the ground is shifting beneath our feet a little bit i mean when you read jordan's book where he talks about stuff that is so similar to this stuff yes this idea that like so there's a quote here that that is worth reading Uh, Quote, I'm not saying that kids don't need to know history or math or biology. They do. But my thought is, can you move the north star of the system a bit? You're still going to biology class and history class. But in those courses, there's a little less focus on specific modules of curriculum. Wrote, I mean, Mm -hmm. sorry, unquote, wrote memory. She's talking about wrote knowledge and stuff like that. Dates and times. Um, And back to it. And more focus on practicing the thinking that's required for work and not just college. What I'm trying to do is reconnect K-12 education with the world of work and the reality of being an adult. God, that's such a good quote. Right. And the idea that we know what kids actually need to know and we're still not teaching them that. We're still making them um, memorize the 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 you know, the date of confederation in Canada, you know, what, what day did Canada become a country and, you know, you know, and not looking up, you know, not teaching. And, you know, you're going to hear later in the podcast, our conversation with, with Nate green and where we're going to literally talk about the idea that it's not about the knowledge. It's about where to find the knowledge. Yes. 
and collecting the information and gathering it. And I was literally talking to my father about this just yesterday. He came by for a visit and he, Jordan's book was sitting out and um, his, his wife grabbed it and, and we were talking about it and we were trying to convince my, my dad that, you know, that the world is changing yes. and that kids don't need to, kids don't need to know, you know, these rote, pieces of information they need to just know where to find it when they're looking for it yes it's what we heard at ISTE last year with the keynote as well this idea of neuroplasticity and how our brains are actually changing um and the way our kids brains are totally different than our brains because the 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 actual chemical physical requirements of knowledge are are different now than they were 50 years ago Uh, so many fascinating things You, you can go into a rabbit hole just off of offshoots of this article but i think it's just common sense right yeah it's such common sense and then it's also it the reality is exploding in our faces like you said it's it's happening right in front of us either we can ignore it or we can take a hold of it and say how do we adjust to fit this what's happening and then make sure that we are doing our due diligence as educators for our students for their future not for well, how we experienced our education or the past or whatever it might be, but for their future. Speaking of students' future, segue. Yes, nice segue. Uh, right? You know the, the key of segues is to not mention the segue. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Anyways. Um, this, the University of Tennessee is giving free tuition to lower income students obviously this is a good thing right absolutely and if you don't know the as far as the low income that they're considering is household incomes of less than fifty thousand dollars a year if you if you think about that that's going to include a lot of people which is i think amazing single parents oh my goodness i just so many so many students uh, if they have their tuition waived and they get free tuition there, I mean, they're still going to have to pay for uh, room and board or any of those types of things, you know, those those other cost books. Uh, but to to waive the tuition, fantastic. The the president of the university said it's that school isn't just for the wealthy or the elite. He's it's just it's the exact opposite of that, uh, you know, those articles from last week, the fascination with these yeah. super rich people and them basically scamming their way into really elite schools. This is the exact opposite. And I'm hoping that more state schools, because the University of Tennessee is legit. I mean, this is not like some little community college. This is a gigantic university. And so if, if more state schools do this, we've got something, you know, we've got something powerful there and, and more opportunity for more students to go ahead and, and, and attend university without the, 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 the thought process of incurring a massive amount of debt or just saying, I can't afford this. So I'm going to go ahead and do something different. It's absolutely fantastic. How about this as the most classic case of student voice that I've probably ever seen in my life? Teachers, in a PD session, developing lessons and unit plans and getting uh, feedback on them, not from, you know, their supervisors or the principals or the tech coaches or the instructional coaches, but from students who were sitting with them and assessing their lessons and 
whether they were any good. Uh, here's how to make them more interesting, um, how they could be more reliable, how they could help struggling students. Um, I mean, pretty brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. It's brilliant and it's also risk-taking. I mean, and it's brave. Yeah, very brave that the district is willing to do something like this, that the teachers are willing to go ahead and have this panel of 100 students listen to whatever it is that they were presenting and then give them feedback on it and then act on that feedback too. Um, and that that itself is super powerful, really involved them. Talk about, like you just said, student voice. My goodness, you mm-hmm. have the voice of the students in the development process of the lessons being presented in class. It's just fantastic. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, last fun note here was, and, and I mean, we've we've brought up, you know, what Apple does, and when they make big announcements, we we cover them, we talk about them. Our first episode to come full circle, we'll talk about that in a minute. But to come full circle, our first real published episode was covering a big Apple education event. And one of the interesting things that came out of that very first episode in that first event was a conversation about the new Logitech stylus and how it was supposed to work uh, like the Apple Pencil, but be cheaper. Yes. And and then what happened over the last year was that uh, a couple more iPads came out, including one recently, but the Apple, the sorry, the Logitech Crayon was remaining only compatible with that one iPad that came out mm, a year ago. Yeah. And so what's happened now is in the iPads that were just announced last week, um, the Logitech Crayon is not only compatible with them, but these new iPads are cheaper and It looks like some sort of a deal is happening where the Logitech Crayon Stylus will be made less expensive if schools purchase it. Yeah. So this is is what we were talking about. We were literally saying, you know, if if you can combine an Apple, a cheap, awesome stylus with an iPad, that's a pretty damn powerful tool in a classroom for for a lot of things. Do you think, Mike, too, uh, the new app or iPad app, it's yeah. the one where it connects to charge up at the top. It has like this little magnetic kind of thing where it snaps onto the top, right? I wonder if this also has that ability because I was wondering about that, it. You know, you know what I'm talking about where it's for the charging? Yeah. No, I do because I, I have a new yeah. iPad Pro and I have the new pencil and, and yeah, it snaps to the side. Oh, side, yeah. And, it, and, then it, and then it charges super fast yeah. too. Um. I don't know if the Logitech Crayon. Maybe someone can when when they hear this, they can send us a message on uh, on the tweeters um, with whether the Logitech Crayon connects to the side of the Apple uh, of the iPad or not. I, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, because we were talking about on that first episode. We were talking about that one of the things we were concerned about is to have a hundred dollar pencil because that's what the Apple Pencil costs. And then trying to be keeping track of those things. I mean, if uh, it doesn't matter what kind of students you're working with. Oh my goodness, it's it's a nightmare keeping track of these kinds of things, especially something as small as that. But I would think that if it was something that where you could connect it very easily, or if somehow we had a case, and I'm sure somebody's figured out something interesting to this, where you could snap it into the the thing, and then you'd have it right there. But basically, to charge half the cost of the pencil, so fifty at fifty dollars, and then include if we were distributing mm-hmm. our iPads to our students, and then we had these Apple pencils. I'm telling you that these pencils, 
And I had a, I think we should try out this Logitech Crayon to see because all the reviews I've been reading have said it's phenomenal. It's <clears throat> it's equivalent. So we need to try it out because if it is equivalent, then we need to get it into the hands of our students because me and you both have the pencil and it is ridiculous awesome. how amazing and it simulates actual writing. It's and then so it gives weird you... to gush about a stylus. Yeah. But you, once you try, you realize that this is really, really damn good. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it, you go in there and you start trying to draw things, you know, with the different Procreate or whatever the types of apps are. Uh, yeah. I'm just, you're just blown away by the, the ability and how it simulates a, pe- a real pencil and pen or whatever it might be. Um, and if this actually does the same, this Logitech crayon, man, it's going to make a, a gigantic difference. And I think it's the, it's that cross section. Even when we're thinking about what devices should we be purchasing on our next, you know, purchase uh, yeah. for our students, even at the high school level, we've talked about the iPad pro and the pencil instead of having the MacBook, Cause the, what it does is it gives you that ability to kind of have the go between. We still like to write, you know, and there's still research that says that if you're writing something out instead of typing it, that there's something happening inside of our brains. Uh, like that whole thing about sketch noting that you talked about too, Mike, that mm-hmm. you're really fascinated with. And there's something powerful about that. Having our students be able to actually take notes on paper or in this case, digitally, there's something powerful about that, and and to make it cheaper and make it more affordable for our school districts, whew, can't wait to see these. Very cool. Speaking of um, very cool, we didn't actually mention it at the top of the show, but this is our fiftieth fiftieth episode. Woo! Fifty episodes in, baby. Which is pretty <laughs> wild. Fiftieth full length episode. We have other like in the in the list on apple there'll be you know it's in the 55 56 somewhere around there but this is i think our 50th full length episode so when we come back we thought we would talk about the what's happened over the last 50 episodes or so and uh review some of our favorite moments and our favorite guests so stay tuned quests one of Classcraft's most popular features with over 100,000 lessons created by teachers and 3 million learning objectives completed by students so far is now part of Classcraft's free offerings. In 2019, your students won't just be learning multiplication, chemistry, or any other content. They'll be saving the kingdom. Transform your lessons into adventures with Quest today. Visit Classcraft.com for more information. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. 50 episodes in, we've, uh, we've come come a ways. <laughs> I'll tell you, um, we wanted to talk, I guess, I guess uh, a little bit about, you know, how far we've come, because that's, that's, I suppose, a pretty interesting story in and of itself. You know, we didn't know how to do any of this a year and a half ago at all. Um, yeah. Didn't know what you needed. Nope. Didn't know what <laughs> software to use. Um, you had a completely different mic, too. A completely different, yeah, very, <laughs> quite a bit more terrible mic. You know, you, we've learned a lot. Uh, but, you know, that first episode, the one that no one's heard, the infamous. Oh, yeah, beta, the infamous, yeah. <laughs> the infamous beta episode, which actually, from a content perspective, is is really quite good. It's we a talked really about, powerful episode, yes. Yeah, absolutely. We talked um, um, with Connor uh Cop, cop, crop, crop, crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, who is a student in in Minnesota, who who Glenn knew, um, 
about about guns in schools. We were literally, what was it, coming off of Parkland or just a year yeah, out of Parkland? Park, yeah, no, it was it was coming off of Parkland maybe a month afterwards. Yeah. I'm gonna say, yep. So so we we had that conversation and and it was really interesting. Um, editing that episode was a, a nightmare. <laughs> To say the least, um, all of the audio files were out of sync uh, because Zencaster is terrible. <laughs> and um, we learned a lot. Uh, I almost threw my laptop out the window <laughs> trying to edit it. This is <laughs> all true, it. too. That's what yeah. people don't understand is that <laughs> the editing process and the whole actually the whole entire thing was just was just a. A learning experience, let's call uh-huh. it that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> An exercise in patience. Yes. Um, but, you know, what came out of that was, I mean, I loved that we were able to send that to our friends. Yes. We got honest feedback, which is super important. I didn't want people to just give us the, the garbage, you know, the, oh, this is great. Congratulations. Keep up the good work nonsense. Because we knew it wasn't, you know, as good as we can do it yes and, we and needed we, the feedback. I, wanted, I wanted people to actually be honest with us and people were uh, and so we got an engineer um we hired someone who we you know for the better part of the like the next year yep uh jake was editing and and engineering our episodes for us you know he was jake was super helpful We're, we'll give him a shout out on twitter because uh haven't talked to him in a while um but he helped us me choose you know microphones and and talk about sound and gave us feedback on the quality of the audio which i i haven't listened to one of like the very first episodes in quite a while i probably wouldn't want to at this point <laughs> I know. because of mostly because we'll be, of audio quality because we'll i'd be cringing that, yeah. right because i think <laughs> at this point now we've we've really landed the auto audio quality pretty pretty well uh, people uh, even today i got uh, a, a dm on twitter about about starting a podcast and this is happening to both of us pretty frequently now um and one of the things i i tell people and i say it a lot now is that this is this is really easy to do it's really hard to do really well is is kind of what i say and and one of the things that one of the reasons why we're working so hard you know i'm still putting in you know, 15 to 20 hours a week into the podcast stuff. And it's, and it's because, you know, we want to do this. Well, I didn't just want to do it. I didn't just want to, you know, grab my cell phone and make a recording, then throw it out on anchor. And you can do that. And frankly, you should do that. If you have things to say, you should be saying them and and nothing should stop you from doing that. Uh, We wanted to do something different here. And I'll tell you the, the reception has been unbelievable. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I guess favorite moments, Mike, I was thinking about just okay. when we started realizing that there was actually a lot of people that listened to specific episodes. I think uh, it happened at, especially at ISTE, but even before that, it happened quite a few times, uh, ISTE last year, where we started getting some unbelievable amounts of listens and people subscribing and then people just giving us feedback like this positive feedback and the audience grew massively i mean it grew from like you just said our family friends and Mm -hmm. and kind of close uh people in our pln to people that were that we didn't even know and it continues to grow today which is 
just absolutely phenomenal and mind blowing as we as we as we continue the process to try to go ahead and increase the audience here. The um, I'll tell you, FETC this year was awesome in a in a lot of ways. But one of the things that I think you're going to see us lean into as a as a group as a podcast um, is the idea that at FETC people just wanted to come and hang out with us and just sit. They, in some cases, they just needed a place to sit and have some good conversations and hang out where they didn't feel like they, you know, had to be on, yes. which is also a thing with some of these um, ed tech kind of leaders mm-hmm. and, and people who are, are are respected and looked up to and, and stuff like that. Um, they have to be on a yeah. lot. And I'm finding that with, with me and you find that with you now, too, with the way that things have changed over the last year, um, that we created a a space for people that they could just sit and take a load off and then just chit chat and just have conversations about anything. We weren't recording. We have fun. We were just talking, hanging out. And so I think that you're going to see us in particular lean into that dynamic a little bit where um, not only are we getting some of the best guests, like guests that I couldn't even believe that we like, I know, we talked to Jordan freaking Shapiro a couple that, weeks ago. I know. Like, it, was you, ama- it was just serious? amazing. I know. It's so, crazy. Like, not only are we getting, like, and, and, like, Carl Hooker, who I idolized for the better part of a decade, um, you know, and, and some of these other people, um, you know, but some of them just want to hang out and chill and have fun and then go out for drinks and dinner later. And that we did all of that. And I think you're going to see us lean into that. So FETC 2019 was probably my top, like easily my top moment of the last year of the last 50 episodes. Um, and the way we established ourselves is just, you know, we're, we're chill. We're, we're different than a lot of the other podcasts. That's for sure. Um, but I think we found, you know, our voice and that's, yeah. that's the most important thing is that we're not, we're not like everyone else and we don't necessarily want to be, uh, and and it's about finding your own voice, and it's totally authentic too, Mike. I uh-huh. mean, that's that's who we really are. We didn't have to, like you just said, we didn't have to pretend or you know or be on or whatever it might be. We were just yeah. being ourselves, and that's that's really the best part of these conferences is sitting down with people and being able to just uh, learn from them and with them, you know, and yeah. really get to hear some interesting, deeper thoughts about whatever or just. Being able to just hang out and and enjoy each other's company for you know who we actually are. One of the things I've been learning over the I've been thinking about it a lot and posting about it on Twitter a decent amount too is this idea of um, for me specifically and personally finding you know my own voice and the way that I want to interact with um, people in in out there. Um, and I you know I guarantee you I say things on this podcast that people don't agree with. Yeah, uh, for sure like you know <laughs> right uh and, but i don't think i need to and i'm not going to feel pressured to i'm going to tell you what i believe in and i'm going to welcome the conversations if you disagree and that's i think one of the fun things about doing this is that you know if you disagree with me tell me th- let's talk about it let's have these conversations because that's also that's the whole point what, of the show yeah it's also exactly what we wanted to do we i i'm still waiting for that Betsy DeVos defender to, to come on the podcast and just explain, explain what the hell's going on over there. Because, 
you know, in a lot of cases, we just don't know. And they are certainly not articulating their position super well to the rank and file teachers. Um, and, and so, you know, we want contrary opinions. I, I don't have a problem debating with people, obviously. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think that hopefully, um, as we continue to grow that kind of progresses too, that would be, that would be awesome. Um, favorite interviews. Yeah. So, we, I mean, we, well, we, love, them. we, we love them all. <laughs> We love, they're all our, our special flowers. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> That's but, what you say by your students. <laughs> sure, yeah. But I, I have to say that, you know, ranking them was, was tough, but, but I, I, we kind of did a top three because I think it was, I think it was fun to even just sit back and think about the people we've talked to. Mm-hmm. So my top three and your top three are very similar, yes. to be honest, which is, which is hilarious. You can see. Um, I had a top one, four. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have a top four. So, so first off, I still pinch myself every couple minutes that we talk to Jordan Shapiro. Yes, that's I mean, the, the my guy, number one too. Right, the guy's freaking brilliant. Uh, I actually was on Twitter yesterday and had like a super long conversation with him on Twitter uh, about literacy and reading. Uh, and and it's I said to I was again I was with my my father and um and and stepmother, and I said. I can't believe that this is my life now that I can just get on Twitter and talk to someone that, you know, is one of the most preeminent scholars on education and educational technology on the planet. Mm-hmm. And he'll answer my tweets. And I knew he would. Yes. And that's, that is such a strange existence to live in now. Um, so anyways, Jordan Shapiro, pretty rad, such a great conversation. We definitely encourage you. If you haven't listened to these ones, you should go back and look them up. Um, both of us have Paul Darvazi on our list now. We're yes. we're like presidents of the Paul Darvazi fan club. Yeah, um, no. so it shouldn't surprise you <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know or follow Paul, right? And follow his work because I mean yeah. he he he's not on Twitter a whole bunch, but no. you should go on to anything that he's actually written. And even though you may not do the things that he's done, which are revolutionary, they're they're like fifteen twenty years. I think down the road already thinking 100%. about those types of things, you can at least get a sense for how you would incorporate alternate reality gaming or augmented reality. Uh, how would you incorporate game-based learning in a completely different way of thinking about it too. His And his writing is amazing. So he wrote for us for the blog. He's written in all kinds of different uh online platforms but my goodness go look him up and just start reading some of his stuff and and i think you'll be inspired by him so you had jordan and paul sharing the number one slot talk yes. about your your number two <laughs> my number two is actually Rafranz davis and, and what's funny the reason why i like that interview so much is actually you and Rafranz's conversation which has continued for the last year i think and any kind of conversation uh about uh that uh rock group or the pop group what is it called oh you don't know yeah. the name yeah i can't even think of, of what yes. it's called yes okay so when you guys were having this conversation it, it was it was a moment too that i thought of we're not like any other type of education podcast. I think that right. because we're actually just having a conversation specifically, you we knew that this was her big passion. Yeah. Though she is, I would say, nationally known and followed as an ed tech leader. Oh, yeah. Leader, she yeah. is, and she has uh, spoken, keynoted all kinds of uh, big, gigantic ed tech conferences. 
But mm-hmm. but the conversation she was having with us was about this passion that she had. And then she was able to go full circle and say, here's how it connects to education. And then yeah. she and she delivered that told me right there, we're different than most any other podcast I've ever listened to. And I listened to a whole bunch of them. Uh, education podcast, a tech podcast. And because we're not just focused on the tools and the tech and the this, whatever it might be. We're also just having conversations with people about their passions that are in education, in ed tech spaces. And I think that just differentiated us right at that moment. Well, one of the things that we both know for sure is that our passions inform our work. It's why we're both games-based learning, mm-hmm. you know, experts. It's why we talk about gamification because this is what we're passionate about. And I guarantee you that K-pop is informing <laughs> Refranz's work in many, many ways. Big and time. she's she's articulating it on Twitter. And I, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm there, Refranz. I'm all in <laughs> on 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 BTS. Uh, and, and we love that. I love that she doesn't give, you know, a, you know what, you know, she's <laughs> talking about what she wants to talk about yes. on her platform about what she's passionate about. And listen, uh, as a guy that again is looking to find his voice and, and, and learn from people who are doing that. Um, she's a, an awesome example of that. Big time. Uh, we both share number three. Yes. Don uh, our, our, our man, Don Wetrick, uh, who has turned into a, a bit of a friend and, you know, even a, a, a good sage advice giver uh, from time to time. Um, but, you know, Don, I, yeah, how do I say this? Don knows a <laughs> lot about a lot of things. Yes. And he's not afraid of telling you his opinion on things. And, it kind of reminds me of me a little a little bit and that's maybe i could listen i i've said this to a bunch of people lately i could sit and listen to don talk about whatever the hell don wants to talk about as long as don wants to talk about it <laughs> I, i'm i'm again i'm there for it uh, and you know we went out for dinner at the second night we were at fetc and it's and it's just like don just talk to us and you know yes. and we just listened constantly and he was giving us advice and um we we were sharing with him some of our plans and ideas and and you know he was actually dead on about a couple of things and i actually reached out to him just a couple of weeks ago about an issue i was having and and he was like he called it completely called it and we were talking about that um so you know these these three or four folks shapiro davrazi Rafans Davis, Don Wetrick, these are pretty awesome conversations we've uh, we've had over the last fifty episodes. We've had a lot of other amazing ones. I mean, the list is is pretty so pretty amazing, yeah, huge. Um, I'll tell you, this one you're about to hear in a few minutes. It's so Nate good. Green is going to absolutely crack our our top five. Uh, I well, I mean, we'll see. But man, oh man, is it ever good. So um, when we come back, we'll be joined by Nate Green. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We're thrilled to be joined by Nate Green. Nate is a technology and instructional coach from Flint Hill School in Virginia. Welcome to the podcast, Nate. It's good to be here. 
Uh, Nate, before we get started, uh, let's do a quick introduction. Could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, who you are, what your background is? Yeah, as Mike said, I'm the currently the technology instructional coach at Flint Hill School, and I teach two classes. One is on social media, and one is on the internet. And I was formerly a history teacher for a number of years, a basketball coach, a lacrosse coach, and I just made the transition into doing technology um, stuff uh, a couple years ago. Um, so I'm relatively new to that, um, but I've been spending a lot of my time thinking about teenagers and social media. Uh, so that's my, my passion project, if you will. I'm excited to talk about that a little with you guys today. That's awesome. So Nate, I first got in contact with you after reading your article, and it's called Why EdTech Specialists Should Focus on Transformation, Not Tools. And in the article, you state teachers tend to seek out specialists for a technological solution, and these interactions are transactional rather than transformational. And after reading the article, I wanted to learn more about how you actually did that. Uh, can you talk us through like the system that was successful for you and your teachers in your in your district? Sure, I'd love to. So I set out to um, sort of codify, if you will, uh, what a good um, piece of technology integration looks like in the classroom. And I connected with a colleague of mine, Sam Moser, who on Twitter is at Moser Tech Teach. So you can find him, uh, who works at the more uh, lower middle school levels. And I work at the high school level. And we said, well, what is what is a good technology integration program look like? So we wrote that article for EdSurge. And we said, it's, it's four things. Um, every one of these integrations has collaborative instruction, authentic engagement, applicative risk-taking, and sustained interest and engagement. Uh, and the reason we built that is because we got sort of tired as um, tech coaches of getting a quick question from a faculty member that's more along the lines of tech help, tech support, yes, um, mm-hmm. than it is on good pedagogy and good teaching. Um, and so we called that a transaction. A transaction is, Nate, how do I use Google Forms to self-grade? I'm like, solve my solve my problem right now. This is the problem I have. How do we fix it? And listen, I'm not going to turn those people away. I'm like, yeah, right. here's how you do no. it. Um, but I got I got tired of that, and and so did so did my colleague Sam. Uh, and so we said, well, how do we avoid those in the future? Uh, and that's when the, where I use the word transformation, uh, which is I hope that you're using technology um, to rethink the way that you're teaching, um, so that it's it's you know, developing skills and it's, and it's following good pedagogy. And it's not just like a quick shortcut for a teacher here or there, or like a a shiny object to to get someone off their back and make it sound like they're doing something tech savvy. So that's where that uh, article came from. And what we did Um, in terms of how that's worked. um, I mean, I try my best to make those things happen. Every time I connect with a teacher, it's really, really hard to do that though. Um, And I would say sort of the, uh, one way to think of it in, in as few words as possible is, is we got obsessed um, in the early 2010s, I guess, with when I first started getting into ed tech with demo slams and appy hours. And we got real into ed tech and it was, you know, shiny object. We all jumped on. Um, and actually, I think the way in which we should be integrating tech is more thinking about the coaching model or a cohort model um, or, or classroom visits or stuff that's, again, built off of a solid foundation of good pedagogy. So actually, that's what should be driving technology integration rather than our infatuation with ed tech. Very, very well said. So Glenn and I are both super active Twitter users and and active on quite a bit uh, of other social media platforms. We both have family that live 
you know, kind of far away. Uh, we understand the power of social media when it comes to connecting people, both our friends and family, uh, but also the power it gives educators in terms of learning from each other. What isn't talked about as much, though, is social media's potential in the actual classroom. Uh, my my wife actually you, we were literally it's funny we were just talking about it the other day how she, she missed Vine because she used to use Vine in the class all the time yeah. and her only role was not to show the kids faces but she's a kindergarten teacher and, and she had parents all the parents of all of her students following her on Vine and watching their kids do awesome stuff in the class um, so I've seen a really good example actually of how social media could be used in the classroom. Can you spend a bit of time talking about um, kind of the power and potential of social media as a teaching and learning tool in the classroom? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think I'll do it through sort of the scope of, of the way we use it. So we use it for a personalized learning network, right? Um, so we have all these amazing educators on Twitter that teach us uh, cool things that they're doing in the classroom, uh, innovative ideas they have. Uh, and things that we can pick up from them, and, and it makes us better teachers. And I was doing that in, you know, again, sort of early 2010s when I was talking about the, the shiny ed tech stuff. I love that ed tech hashtag. I loved reading teachers' blogs. Yes. <laughs> and I got really, really deep into that stuff. And then I had a really simple thought. And I was like, well, if I can do this to become a better teacher, why can't my students use this to get good at whatever their passions are? So that's where I got this idea for my website, which is socialmediamarketplace.org. I, I call it uh, passion-based learning through social media. And I say to my students, I say, you can build up a personalized learning network about whatever you, whatever you want to get good at. That can be academic enrichment, something you get better at when your classes, that can be civic engagement, or that could be you know, career opportunities. Um, so then I put this to the test, um, and I taught a mass media class in, in a summer course when, with no one breathing down my neck, total autonomy. And I built it. I said, if, you, if you're going to go into media, like, you know, here's 100 Twitter feeds of what the media landscape looks like right now. And I'm talking about, you know, journalism, audio, video production, and all that kind of stuff, gra you know, graphic design. And then with Reach Kid, I said, you know, by the end of this course, you should have a personalized learning network about whichever aspects of this media landscape that you found most interesting. So, for example, my student, Wes, then spins off and he goes, I, you know, Mr. Green, I love the film unit. I was like, well, here's producers, directors, you know, actors, studios, et cetera. Like, this is where you need to be. Um, before you know it, he had a Tumblr blog and he was writing about horror films. And then he had a YouTube page where he's reviewing films. And now he's on a, a whole social media app dedicated to film nerds called Letterboxd. And uh, he's going to be applying for jobs soon. And, and that's going to give him a leg up on everyone else. And so, my, so when I figured I could do that in mass media, I then tried it in my history classroom. And now I built my own class called Passion Based Learning Through Social Media, where that's how I run my class. Um, and again, it came from my own interest in my own, you know, uh, professional development on Twitter as a teacher. I had never once thought of developing, having students develop PLNs for themselves. Oh, come on. Uh, and I, and no, <laughs> I'm like, idea, you're blowing my mind. Like, I'm seriously going, why didn't I think of this? Like, cause I, I'm the guy that was pushing against the tide at school uh, when I was at my school about social media and opening it up and, letting kids and teachers and everyone use it. Um, uh, but I never thought of using it in that context. And, you know, just another example of, you know, the things we learn from each other, men, oh, man. 
It's a brilliant idea. Tell us more about that course that you were just uh, describing. I guess I'll tell it through a couple of my students, uh, through their lenses. So that, that I gave you Wes as an example when I was teaching mass media. And I found I could do the same thing in my history class. I taught a contemporary world history class. And I said, if you want to know what's going on in international news, here, you know, here's 100 plus Twitter feeds. There you go. And I found that my students several years later were still checking it when they wanted to be informed about a global event or what's going on. That's awesome. And I was like, wow, this is, I mean, this is amazing. Um, so those experiences drove me to create passion-based learning through social media and to build this website, which I, I kept telling people, hey, you, you know, I don't care what you're passionate about. You got to build a PLN and get good at it. Uh, and it's one thing to learn online. You also have to contribute. You have to be understood as a learner in that space. And so I built a skills chart that says learn, curate, create, share, collaborate, lead. And I say in my class, you have to hit these skills, um, but the content is up to you. So I had a kid who was like, well, I want to be an architect, but there's no architecture class at Flint Hill. And I was like, that, that's okay. There's, there's architects out there that are showing off their work and their blueprints and talking about stuff and collaborating. Like, go find it. And he did. And then he started making his own. He found the apps that he should play around with and, and where he should start building his first blueprints. And he put it on the web and he became a contributor to that space. Or I had another student um, whose name is Belle. And, and she was like, well, there's no marketing class, but I want to, go, I want to be a marketing major. I was like, well, why would you wait to college to figure out if you're interested in marketing or not? So she built the website and she built a network and, and she had, she now is, uh, she's, and she did it through her own sort of like um, angle, which is just like marketing for teens, you know? And she's like, well, you know, here's what my friends were teenagers. Here's how they act and interact online. So if you're in marketing, here's how to capture this audience. It's, and it's a, it's a perspective that she has that, that uh, those who are professionals in the marketing field don't have. So it's a, in that sense, it's really amazing what these kids can come up with uh, once they go through that skills progression I was talking about earlier. Um, so that's what the course is about. And, and that's, again, that's what drove me to, to build this website. And I really strongly believe in it. And I hope that more, I, I also believe that this can apply to every course, which is why I started by talking about how I could do this in my history classes. And I want to see more educators doing it. It's an inversion of the role of the teacher. You're now you're a curator of knowledge instead of just the person that's imparting, you know, this is... Teachers don't know, hey, newsflash, teachers don't know everything, right? And, I mean, don't even necessarily need to be the smartest person in the room about a subject. In when I started teaching graphic design, I quickly realized that my kids were doing way more graphic design stuff at home on their own than I was teaching them in class. And I had kids whose graphic design chops were just blowing me out of the water because it's what they were interested in. They were seeking out their own learning. I mean, that's how I learned graphic design i'm not a graphic designer i'm a history major i learned how to use photoshop from watching videos on youtube it's it's basically just telling kids to do the same thing and but being the person the mentor that that guides them right right and let me let me ground this in a few things as well if i may one is we, we in schools are worried about what our kids are doing online you know in, in 2015 common sense media said teenagers spend nine hours a day consuming media so obviously we could we got to reduce that but <clears throat> assuming that's a given um, the other, I'll give you one more stat, which is um, I read recently in the Atlantic that 91% of two-year-olds already have a digital footprint by the, you know, by the time of two. So our kids already have these digital footprints. They're already spending all this time online. And it's like, and we as teachers, we ask them to come into our classes as active, informed citizens, right? And I would call that digital citizenship when they act that, that way online. And yet we don't make them, we don't ask them to act that way online. When they turn in papers for us, you know, we say every, everything that you cite you, know, you got to be media literate, right? But then we don't make we don't make them act that way online. And the same thing would be to digital portfolios, right? We say, well, you got to have this resume that we're going to send out to colleges to get you in, 
but then we don't care what your digital resume looks like. <clears throat> so I, th- I don't understand why in education, then we're, we're making them do all these things. And then as soon as they bury their head in their phone or their screen, we're letting them off the hook completely and we're letting them act differently and do what they want, et cetera. So if you want to solve, you know, make a digital footprint into a digital portfolio, you want to have, make them digital citizens and media literacy, literate students online. Well, then they have to be following something they care about. And your example, Mike, is such a good one, which is like, these kids legitimately cared about graphic design and they got good at it on their own. And if that's what they're doing online, do we really have to worry if they're, if they're reading some, a bad source or posting something dumb? No, they're not. They're, they're doing amazing work. And the other thing that you're getting at, which is something I say every time I speak, is we need our kids creating more than they consume. Uh, and I actually read something recently, create more than spectate. I like that, the way, that way of putting it. Um, so if we can get our, get our kids doing that online. We also solve all of the big buzzwords in education, like digital citizenship and media literacy and those things as well. So again, I think, and I think you can't solve those things without teaching social media. And so that's why I'm trying to bring social media into more classes to solve those, solving those problems is an offshoot of, of bringing social media into our curriculum. Amazing. Uh, Nate, Nate, how can people connect with you? Get, plug, plug your website again. Uh, share your Twitter handle. Uh, where can people reach out and, and get in touch with you? Glad to do it. Uh, my website is socialmediamarketplace.org. Um, and it's my effort. I think there's like 40 interests on there. And I also have one for each department. And if you click on it, it spits back to you. Twitter and Facebook accounts to follow if you're interested in that. So say like, you know, you click on the technology link. It'd be Twitter and Facebook accounts that, that would make you learn more about that. Instagram feeds, YouTube, you know, podcasts, et cetera. So I did that for a lot of interests, but also I hope that teachers will, will build their own versions of that. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter. I'm Mr. Shakedown, MR Shakedown. And I'm always talking about this stuff, always talking about the intersection of education and social media. So, so find me there. Uh, and, and if you're interested in, in bringing social media into your classroom, definitely hit me up. I'm more than happy to help. Um, again, it's my PLN that started this work of mine. So, uh, I always like to, to build it up and continue to help others. Fantastic. Nate, Nate Green, everyone. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd love if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives a rankings a boost and this helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Schoology, for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and we'll see you soon.